Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Are you being influenced? If you watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, then there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. I know you're paying attention to global events. Wars bubbling up everywhere. Countries are buying and hoarding mass amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our heads in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps. And then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. What is the greatest special operations mission of all time? Well, I mean, the truth is, let's be honest. I don't know, and you don't know. The greatest ones we don't find out about. You don't find out about them. 
and we love them, don't we? I mean, who doesn't like movies about that stuff? Who doesn't who doesn't like reading about it? Podcast about it. I mean, we, everybody knows what SEAL Team 6 is. It was a SEAL team created to be the special anti-terrorist SEAL team. I mean, they're all anti-terrorists, but there's already a special selection to get in, and these dudes are, you know, the super studs. But you, you, you would think of, like, the raid on Osama bin Laden. Do you know that in many of the special forces circles, that is not well thought of, that raid. Hilo they brought in, top secret Hilo, special for SEAL Team 6. They were supposed to blow it up and destroy it so other countries couldn't acquire the technology, and they screwed that up. I'm not blaming anybody. Obviously, it's high pressure. It's it's there's but I mean it's the the ones we know about. You know the great ones. Sometimes they're laughed off on the inside circles. Sometimes the ones they all admire, they're ones you and I will never hear about ever. The most famous one that I love that is well thought of that I can think of is Operation Thunderbolt. And I'm shocked how many people have never heard of it. So we're going to walk down that lane today. Now, we need to do a brief setup here. We're going to Israel, Palestine, Germany, all those tensions and tensions are high. We are in the 1970s. Remember when the Munich Olympic happened? 72, everybody remembers that. That was obviously a big deal. Palestinians storm in, grab these Israeli athletes, and Germany, it, it honestly, it depends who you talk to, whether they were weapons-grade incompetent or intentionally wanted the Israelis to die. Either way, there, there is no defense of what Germany did there. Germany basically did nothing. The Israeli athletes were held hostage. And we'll go over this sometime. We'll go over it in detail. It's actually not what today's is about. The, the Israeli hostage, uh, athletes are held hostage. Germany not only doesn't do anything... They don't let Israel do anything. And Israel's like, uh, we need to, uh, do you want us to step in here? These are our guys. Germany, uh, no, no, you can't do that. And let's, let's, things get lost over time. That's just the nature of things. Let's remember, that's 1972. That is less than. 30 years after the Holocaust. Hard for, hard, hard for you and I to comprehend that, right? Because 72, 50 years ago now. We're, we're so separated. But the tensions were still extremely... Th- th- think about this. If you're 20 years old and lived through the Holocaust, you're less than 50 watching the Munich Olympics happen. Do you think you're going to be a little salty? 
How many Jews still at that time had lost their entire families because of Germany? And you think you're going to be a little salty? And remember, Germany, the reason it really could have just been incompetence was Germany sucked at this point in time. They're going through the East Germany, West Germany thing. The the heydays of Germany being this booming juggernaut in Europe are not still going on in the 70s. Not at all. They're hurt. And you and I will never be able, well, let's, Lord willing, let's hope so. But you and I will never be able to understand national shame on that level either. Think what that's like for a German. I, if, obviously, we are tainted because it's we're so close to it still. But is the Holocaust the worst event in human history? If Probably not, but it's way up there, right? And it'll be the highest in our lifetime by a mile. I mean, relatively speaking, close to us. You can look at horrible past genocides, Mongols and others that probably surpass it, but still, it's your country was responsible for the worst thing anybody can think of. Think about that. Think if you go ask a hundred people on the street today, what's the worst thing ever to happen in history? Over 90 would say the Holocaust. And you're Germany. Ugh. Uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable. So already Germany was feeling ashamed, embarrassed, and now you have this international incident taking place at your Olympics. Remember, your Olympics are a big deal for countries. This is supposed to be a big coming out party for Germany. Hey, we're back. Uh, not back in a bad way. I mean, we're just we're, we're back in all the good German ways. And it ends up being a disaster. Yeah, Chris brought up they cost a fortune. Remember, Olympics, when countries hold Olympic events, when they, when they host the Olympics, countries lose a fortune. You never make money on the Olympics, ever. You only do it for national pride, national status, and now you have this disaster at Munich. All these athletes die. You've got people burning to death in the helicopters. And not only is Germany extremely ashamed, let's set them aside for now because we're not dealing with Germany really today. Israel is next level salty about it, understandably so. And remember this, we're still dealing with the establishment of the new Israel. They're still, you and I have, a, have a, an image of Israel, whatever your image is. But at this point in time, think how young they are. Don't start yelling me about all the historical stuff. Think about a nation being 30 years old. That is so young. And they're figuring out exactly what they want to be, how they want to be. They know it's pretty universal. They know this is supposed to be the Jewish homeland, a place where Jews can come and be safe. What they don't know and what there is endless squabbling about inside Israel to this day is how they need to handle their foreign affairs, how they need to handle their enemies. Now, I will tell you, as you know, I'll speak pointedly about anybody and everyone. One of my favorite things about Israel is how they handle their foreign policy. 
that whole vulgar saying I'm not going to say on the radio that F around and find out. That's how I think of Israel. That's how they've conducted their business. But that is always, there are people within Israel at all times pushing for restraint. Let's hold back here. Let's hold back there. And not necessarily, I don't want to make them sound weak either. Sometimes you have to, otherwise you just become hated by everyone. And they're still wrestling at this point, early 70s, with uh, how much do we want to do this? Remember, Israel, you call it what you want to. Israel, especially early on, committing acts of terrorism, right? Hang on a second. The Jesse Kelly Show. On air and online at jessekellyshow.com. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. While I'm talking, go check it out. Just go look at it right now and you'll see what I'm talking about. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau for a reason. And... Gold IRAs aren't what you think. As soon as you start telling people, buy gold, buy gold, you think somebody's going to ship you a, a, a crate of gold bars. You got to go bury them out back. It's, it's not that way. Gold IRAs are professional things that help you diversify your portfolio to make sure you don't get absolutely slaughtered if the market takes a huge dip, which everybody thinks it's going to. That's all. It's not more complicated than that. So go get one. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. And if you sign up, maybe get up to $5,000 in free gold and silver coins. Let's remember, the Israelis had to kill to get Israel back. We're talking bombs in hotels. And then once they established it, they had to figure out how they were going to handle their enemies. And they're mailing out letter bombs. And again, I'm not in, look, I'm a huge Israel homer, so I'm... I'm going to attempt to be as down the line here as I can be. But you know, I'll tell you when I'm a homer for some people and when I just flat out dislike others like Italians. Quick, Chris. But violence was necessary. And they were arguing, again, internally, because they did have innocent people opening up some of these letters getting blown up. And it's not as if they just shrugged their shoulders about it. That created controversy back home. Uh, We can't do this. We're supposed to be better. We're supposed to be have a different moral fabric. But Munich happens. And now, now they're ramping up things a little bit when it comes to how they're going to handle people. Because the Palestinian terrorism and militancy did not necessarily start Right off the bat, that was something that got ramped up and ramped up and ramped up 
and now, 70s, now it's on. Now they're killing Israeli school kids. Now there are hostage situations everywhere. Munich was just the famous one. These were all over the place now, and Israel has had just about enough of that crap. And they are becoming more trained and more forceful with how they're dealing with these things. They have this incredible counterterrorism unit called the Sayeret Matkal. They are you need to think of them like Israel like Israel's SEAL Team 6. That may not be totally accurate because there's probably different capabilities there, but these are bad dudes. All right, so you have this. Now, allow us to go to Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, there's an Air France flight. 1976. We are fresh after Munich. We have a new focus here. Passenger plane takes off. Over 200 people on board. Passenger plane to Paris. Obviously, because it's leaving Tel Aviv, there's tons of Israelis on board, over 100 of them. They make a little stop, take on about 50 more passengers, and now they're heading to Paris. Only they took on four too many. They took on four terrorists as well. Contrary to popular belief about this story, they were not all four Palestinians. Two of them were Palestinians. Two of them were Germans. And it's odd. I don't know why this is. I should dig into this more. But there were these terrorists really in the 70s. These guys seemed to thrive a little bit in the 80s too, but in in the 70s, not not necessarily like you and I would think of terrorists, Osama bin Laden, Baghdadi, guys like that. White European descent terrorists who it honestly almost just appears they did it for a career. Uh, these guys, it was it's very odd. Uh, terrorists for hire really is what they seem to be. I'm not questioning their beliefs. They had radical beliefs too, but they're not the normal jihadis you like to think of when you think of that kind of terrorism. But this is a different day and age when it comes to planes and how planes handle security too, which it's wild to me that this didn't prompt all the changes that 9-11 ended up prompting. But these are the days where there's a disturbance in the back, so the pilot orders his chief engineer sitting right beside him, hey, go check it out. Well, You don't have to be a genius to figure out how that works. Chief engineer opens up the cockpit. Wow, there's a guy right there with a pistol and a hand grenade. Guess who's coming in? And it's common. You and I make this mistake, and you need to be careful about this. How many history stories have we read or have I read you about thinking less of your enemy just because you hate them? We do it all the time, don't we? And everybody does it. What was that last thing we just talked about, World War II? How the Japanese thought Americans were soft. Ah, too weak. We'll just attack them at night. Oh, wow, we all died. Turns out you don't attack Marines at night. That was a, that was a really bad idea. Not quite so soft. And we did the same thing. Ha <laughs> these stupid little yellow man Japanese. These guys are, they're basically animals. Oh, wow, these guys are bad dudes. Really bad dudes. But it's common. This is, this is what people do in, in the history of mankind. 
We do it too, and I am just as, if not more guilty than you, we do it when it comes to terrorists. Oh, these this bunch of idiots. <laughs> Look at these dirt balls. Probably has an IQ of 12. I bet that I bet that guy can hardly put a bomb together without blowing himself up. Yeah, some of them blow themselves up, and some of them are really, really, really skilled bomb makers. Ah, oh, there's these idiots. They have training camps. No, they don't have our budget, so they're not putting the rounds downrange we are, but they have training camps, exercise, weapons training. That 9-11 terrorist attack, let's be frank about it here. That was well done. They got us, and they got us good. And just thinking about it makes me want to strangle somebody, so I want to hate them, right? And I do hate them. But that level of planning, they've got their guys over here in pilot schools for that long? What? It's, they got us. Well, this is no different. In this case, this guy was worried that they would, you know, hold a gun to the pilot's head. Hey, make sure you fly me here instead. And the pilot's like, yeah, I'll get right on that. And then flies him wherever he wants. This guy trained for a year to do this. He knew exactly what he was doing as a pilot just so they couldn't fool him. Again, trained. They think too. They take control of this plane. And they fly it down to Benghazi first. Yes, that very same Benghazi, that one. Now, they're just stopping off in Benghazi for fuel. And as luck would have it, a very crafty young nurse on the flight gets up and freaks out and says, I'm having a miscarriage. You have to let me off the plane. And in a rare show of humanity, although she probably wasn't one of the Israelis, and a rare show of humanity, they let her off the plane. I bet they wouldn't have if she was an Israeli. But they're like, oh, yeah, well, we can't let her lose the baby. Turns out she wasn't even pregnant and definitely not having a miscarriage. But then she goes and gives so much of the intelligence to the people who need it. So they stop in Benghazi, they fuel up, and then they take off down to Entebbe in Uganda. And Uganda in the 70s was a place run by a man. We've done a show on him before, Idi Amin. Idi Amin, you can still see videos of him to this day if you want to. Him being interviewed, he was huge. I think he was 6'4", 6'5", like 270 pounds. He's a big dude and violent. I remember that show we did on Idi Amin. He, he came up as a soldier through the ranks, and that was his specialty, was violence. And he eventually took over Uganda, and, well, he was a monster. He was an absolute monster. Crafty, really crafty, but a monster. He had... A, well, I'm not going to go off on Idi Amin today, but I will just tell you, he had a prison set up there. I'll tell you what, I'll elaborate real quickly in just a second.
never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. had a prison that was so terrible in Uganda, you can take a tour of it to this day. I'm almost positive you can YouTube a video of it if you're curious what I'm talking about. It was, I want you to picture a small concrete river, okay? A concrete place where you could put water. It's empty today, obviously, but he had it filled up with water, and you would take a boat back into this bunker with rooms, concrete rooms, off to the left side. So you're taking a boat. There are these rooms off to the left out of the water. He sealed off the ventilation in the rooms and would stuff people in there so people would just flat out die of suffocation. He would stuff them in there in mass. And the water right outside, he electrified it heavily. And the prison was so miserable, so inhumane. Try to picture this. They had to work hard to keep people because people routinely would throw themselves into the water so they would get electrocuted and and die rather than go back into that prison. This dude killed so many freaking people. Idi Amin, he had... I'm not going to go into the details today. He had torture chambers that were, ugh, you just, you can't imagine. Very, very bad human being. Very violent, bad human being. And he's a dictator at this time in Uganda. And not only is he a dictator, he's a dictator who's been constantly juggling his relationships with the more supreme powers of the world. Countries like Britain. We're getting along. We're not getting along. Oh, you want me on your side? You don't want me on your side kind of thing. He was originally trained by Britain because Uganda was a British colony. So he had military training from Britain. And then Britain was doing that thing where, hey, we're not a colonial power anymore. Look how nice we are to this guy. Oh, he's kind of a scumbag, but we're still going to be nice. right? Look how they were kind of doing the modern day woke thing. Couldn't really cut him loose. Didn't want to look bad. But Idi Amin was a really bad guy. And by now, by this point, by the time of this hostage takeover of this plane, Idi Amin 
was really kind of pretty much on the outs. Everybody got that this was a bad human being. And so he was looking for new friends, new ways to do things. Oh, these Palestinian terrorists look all right. This was obviously all set up beforehand. This plane lands in Uganda in Entebbe. In this run-down dump of a Ugandan airport, it's everything you would picture in a Ugandan run-down dump airport. Mosquitoes were supposed to be horrible. Just everything in a state of disrepair. They pull all these hostages out of the plane and actually tell them as they're getting out, hey, you're free, you're in Uganda, which is really weird they did it this way. Then they pulled them all out of the plane. They're like, oh, we lied. No, you're not free. Get in the airplane hangar now. They get them in, and immediately they start separating people, and they're lying to them about why they're separating people. You're going here, you're going there, but it does not take them long to figure out they're separating the Jews from everybody else. And as you can probably imagine, the Jews are pretty in tune to things like that. Remember the Warsaw ghetto uprising we talked about last week? They're going to get they're going to pick up on that pretty quickly. Wow. Everyone around me shares the same religion here. They do pick up on it, and they figure out they're in very deep trouble. And by now, some of these people, I believe, are still alive, but you can see interviews with them. By now, they're entirely convinced they're all going to die, which would not have been abnormal. The terrorists send out their demands. They want $5 million from Israel. They want Israel to release 53 people Israel's currently holding. Most of those were Palestinians. Some were just pro-Palestinian, but not Palestinian. You know what I mean? Whatever. 53 people. Well, this obviously has national implications, international implications. The, The world erupts. News crews fly into Entebbe and set up outside of the airport. They're filming this thing. This is a big deal. And and remember, terrorists back then, especially, well, and now, they want their acts to be public. They want you to look on in horror. They want other young, angry men thinking about joining the cause to look and see, wow, that's pretty cool. I think I'll get in on that. It helps with terrorist recruitment. They do not shun away the TV cameras. Oh, please, come on, I'll give you a tour. Israel's freaking out. That's a lot of Israelis. You got over 100 Israelis there. They all have families. They're all screaming at the Israeli government, give them their money and release the people now. These are civilians. These are wives, sisters, brothers, sons, old and young. Israel, though, As I said, things have changed for them. Israel can't afford to do that. You cannot afford one time if you're Israel to negotiate with these people. You're trying to get this stuff to stop. You go handing them $5 million and releasing prisoners, this stuff's never, ever, ever going to stop. So Israel comes up with a plan, but it is, man, so difficult. They start scouting out this area. They're flying small planes overhead, 
trying to get a layout of the hangar. And the terrorists actually start releasing a bunch of the non-Jews, a bunch of the non-Israelis. As you can imagine, Israeli intelligence is waiting about five seconds after these new hostages get off the plane. Ah, hey, well, I'm glad you're free. I need to talk to you for like three hours. I need the layout of this. I need to know how many people are here, how many people are there. And they have to figure out how they're going to get these hostages out. But remember, Uganda is not only 2,000 miles away from Israel. Uganda is a sovereign country with its own army. And Idi Amin is present and welcoming these terrorists there. You can't start a war. Not if you're Israel. Not when things are as up in the air for you around the world as they are at that time. You start a war with Uganda if you're Israel, you're likely not going to have a ton of people lining up behind you. They know they need to get them out, though. And they come up with a really cool plan. Idi Amin is straight out of a African warlord dictator movie stereotype. Straight out of it. I mean, he's central casting for it. Right down to the fact, of course, he drives or rides in a souped-up Mercedes with a big caravan. I mean, you can almost hear the Hollywood music playing behind him as the guy's driving around. And that's how he drives up to this Entebbe airport, which he visits often. He goes rolling up there, and the Ugandan army is obviously guarding this airport. And as you can imagine... They don't exactly grill Idi Amin as he's walk as he's driving in. When the big boss is driving in, probably best to not even make him slow down, or you're gonna have your hands chopped off with a machete. Let's let's just let the man on by. Israel comes up with a the plan. They say, why don't we get an exact replica of that car? and the other vehicles in the caravan and pretend to be Edie Amin. Hang on. to the Jesse Kelly show. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
Now we have a plan. We need a Mercedes that exactly matches. You need a caravan that exactly matches. But remember, that stuff works in the movies where you're like, I have an idea. And some guy's like, that's a good idea. And the next cutscene is that Mercedes driving up. You're 2,000 miles away. You have to get it there. You have to get your pe- people there. So they come up with a plan to plane this Mercedes in and the caravan in on these gigantic cargo planes. Well, remember, this is Uganda. Uh, you don't just get to fly in wherever you want, whoever you want. They do this ruse and pretend one of them is a passenger plane. The other one, they're sneaking it in. But they do get it in, and they have the Israeli Special Forces guys in the back. They're doing this at night to create more confusion. They land 29 Special Forces guys and about 200 other Israeli Army guys. And they start rolling towards the checkpoint straight out of the movies. Everything's working, right? Just like straight out of the movies. They see a couple Ugandan guards. Standing in the middle of the road right there in the headlines. Of course, they're going to step by and and let us on by because, of course, everything works. Not in real life, it doesn't. These soldiers, I don't know whether they knew Idi Amin's schedule and knew it wasn't him. I don't know how they knew, but they knew. They start to present their weapons. There's a couple Israeli commandos with suppressed weapons. Pop, 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 pop. Ugandan soldiers are down. More soldiers hear this, start shooting and running. The Israeli spec ops guys start murking out the Ugandan soldiers. Only now, here's the big problem. You're 200 meters away from the hangar. The plan was to get right up next to the hangar. As one guy I heard interviewed talk about this, he said the problem is not killing people. He said it's easy to kill people. It's hard to rescue people. You have to get to that hangar and kill all those terrorists before the terrorists turn around and kill all the hostages. So they have to essentially throw caution to the wind. They blaze up to the hangar. It's pretty much pitch black. The Ugandan army is starting to mobilize, and you have to storm into the hangar and get them. One guy goes charging down a corridor, and there's a huge glass wall beside him in the hangar. He said all at once the glass exploded, and he said he was so zoned in, he looks, and he sees the terrorist pointing an AK-47 at him, shooting it at him, but he can't hear it. He's so zoned in, he can't hear it, and the guy's just unloading. But because the dude wasn't trained enough, he couldn't hit anything. Just a heads up for any of you who may have fully automatic weapons or shoot one in the future. It does not work like it does in the movies. You shoot these weapons in short bursts for the most part. You do not just hold down the trigger and open it up till it's all gone. You can't hit anything. Weapons will walk up and recoil on you and you can't hit anything. Ask that terrorist. Oh, wait, you can't because he's dead now. The Israeli spec ops guy, highly trained, turns, pop, pop, terrorist is down. 
but you have more terrorists in, and they're swarming in. Boom, one of the Israeli Special Forces guys go down. I believe that was Benjamin Netanyahu's brother, if I'm not mistaken, goes down, wounded. Maybe cousin. Cousin, Chris? Cousin. Goes down. They go storming in. They think they've taken care of all the hostages. They think they've taken care of all the terrorists. One of the hostages pops up. And starts walking and says, oh, it's so great you're here. And then they see him pull the pin on a grenade. He was a terrorist posing as a hostage. Boom, they kill him. Take off running. All the hostages make it. It's fine, right? And now the Israeli special forces guys are understandably on edge. They tell all the hostages, get on the ground and get your face on the ground. Because they don't know who's who. One guy, and I just, I I hate this story. I, I read Three or four things on this. Listen to a podcast on it, too. And just every every time I hear this, I want to scream at this guy. I mean, who knows, though? Who knows if he was just a different personality? Maybe he was crazy. Maybe he was just friendly. Maybe. Who knows? One of the hostages springs up because he realizes they've just been rescued by Israeli soldiers springs up and goes running towards them to greet them and hug them. And they kill him, as you would, in the dark. Like I said, it doesn't always work like it does in the movies. It's not always clean. You want to know why so many of these guys have nightmares later on in life? It ain't the terrorists they're dreaming about. It's things like that. Think what that's like for that Israeli spec ops guy. Who had to put that guy down? Think what he goes through all the time. Hang on. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. The Ugandan army finally figures out really what's happening. There's shooting going off everywhere. They have to scramble now in the dark 
and get the passengers onto these passenger planes in the middle of the night in a Ugandan airport. And I remember one of the things that always struck me was one of the Sayaret uh, 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 Matkal guys talked about how that was the loneliest he's ever felt in his life. He said, you just felt like you were all alone in the world. And remember, remember what's at stake. Remember that prison I told you about? Idi Amin's prison? If you're one of the Spec Ops guys and you don't die, well, let's just put it this way. You better hope you die. Because if you don't die there, you're going to die ugly later on. Think what that's like 2,000 miles from home. But they get him on the plane. And the plane takes off. And they save them. They save almost all of them. That is Operation Thunderbolt. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I'm not making up this headline. On my life, I'm not. This is from the Daily Mail. Has COVID killed off the flu? Experts experts pose the intriguing question as influence, influenza cases nosedive by 98% across the globe. Come on. I I hate to sound like Joe Biden, but I don't even have another thing to say, but come on. Who's buying that? Is that really what we're going with? Is Is that what we think happened here? Wow, there's like there's like no reported flu cases this year. You know what happened? COVID probably killed it. Who do you honestly expect is going to believe that? By the way, 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I did get your emails about the phone screener position that is opening up. If you're interested in becoming my new phone screener, phone screener Mitchell's moving on, please give you another couple days. Send in an email with phone screener in the subject line. If phone screener is not in the subject line, 
That tells me you're a doofus who can't follow simple, simple instructions, and I won't even have Chris print it off for me. Phone screen on the subject line. Send it in. See what we can do. I don't even think I'm going to dwell on this COVID article, but we're all being lied to. And I am not actually one of these people who believes there's some gigantic globalist conspiracy. It, I just think it just comes down to this. Yeah, it was probably you people, Chris. Probably the Jews again. No question. In all seriousness, it just comes down to this. We incentivized having COVID and COVID cases. The medical profession is just like every other profession. They like money too. Let's see. I could report this as this, or I could report this as that. If I report this as this, I get $10,000, or I could report it as that, and I get $1,000. Which direction do you think I'm going to go? Good buddy of mine just had his father-in-law hospitalized. Uh, it was not. It was not COVID. It was something else. I'm not going into it. They tested him for COVID five times. Why do you think they did that? Come on. It's a, it's a miracle, Chris. COVID has killed the flu. And you know what's sad, though? This, this is, I genuinely mean this, because there are some people, you can't help who you are. I mean, you can somewhat, but. Some people are just this way. There are people who will genuinely believe that. It is critical for you and I to get to the point where you refuse to believe anything you read, anything you see, because it is all being twisted and manipulated, especially now, now more than ever. Outright lies are pushed out there. Remember, remember the post office with remember Donald Trump stealing post office boxes and stuff like that, Chris? Turned out to be a 100% complete fabrication. They had a special congressional hearing for that complete fabrication. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? A complete fabrication that got a congressional hearing. I'll tell you what, man. There's a, you know what? Talk about, talk about a utopian world. Here, get this, Chris. China to Christians. This is from the Federalist. We're rewriting the Bible, and you'll use it or else. This is about Christian you, whatever, whatever. The estimated 100 million Christians in China make the eradication of Christianity from China difficult. Chairman Mao tried and was unsuccessful. President Xi prefers a more subtle tactic than Mao's, a campaign to sinicize religion, making it more compatible with the teachings of the Chinese Communist Party. Why do you think leftists, every single place they've ever gone, have tried to outlaw Christianity? Why do you think they're trying to lock up all the Muslims? Have you even heard of a Chinese Jew? 
Why do you think that is? Because, as the good book says, you cannot serve two masters. Leftists hate the church for one reason and one reason only. Because you cannot worship their government god and worship your god. Period. The two are completely incompatible with each other. 100%. All right. Nancy Pelosi had this clip on CNN. And I have to play it for you. Not necessarily for the crazy things she says, but you know what? I want you to listen and you'll pick up on it too. While you listen, listen beyond what she's saying and just just listen. So more than 23 million Americans are on unemployment benefits right now, as you know. One study shows the poverty rate is higher now than it's been in the whole pandemic. Three Democratic governors in the Midwest, uh, Whitmer of Michigan, uh, Evers of Wisconsin, and Waltz of Minnesota, three Democratic governors wrote to you, President Trump, and other congressional leaders saying, among other things, quote, we implore you to put differences aside and agree to another much-needed COVID-19 relief bill. In addition, one of your own members, Congressman uh, Max Rose, said this week that the Democratic Party needs to learn to a certain extent how to declare victory and go home. Um, You're getting a lot of messages from Democrats saying this is good enough, We, we need to say yes. Welcome to my world, that is not a lot of messages, although I respect each and every one of them. The fact is, if we don't agree to the science to crush the virus, if they did what is in our bill, that science dictates that we do, then if we do that, we can lower the incidence of the virus in certain areas, open schools, open businesses, and the rest. If we don't, we're just giving money to the president to spend any way he wants, and that has not been in furtherance of crushing the virus. So again, in terms of we all want an agreement. Nobody wants it more than the House Democrats. We represent these people. We have been fighting for food for the hungry, uh, uh, rent assistance for those who may be evicted. But most importantly, we really have to stop the spread of the virus. And it's, what, nine months later? Yeah, no. And they still will have... Stop it, Chris. Just just stop it. I can't take it anymore. Move away from the microphone, lady. That's one. Two, remember this. You should probably admire Nancy Pelosi a little. She's so good. She's so good. One, this is why I'll never run for office again, because I'm like the only person in the United States of America who doesn't want any more coronavirus relief bills because we're going to break the American financial system trying to do this too. Nancy Pelosi is so good. I'll tell you what I mean in a second. Listening to the Jesse Kelly Show. You're welcome. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. 
Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. Nancy Pelosi talking about helping people. We're trying to get everyone the help they need. We're trying to follow the science. They loaded up their COVID relief bill with bailouts of every one of these radical left cities with money for illegal immigrants. Like You name the Democrat cause. They loaded it into the COVID relief bill. And she'll stand there on the news and talk about Wow, that's, look, we're just trying to follow the science. It's brilliant. It's brilliant because Nancy Pelosi is never, ever, ever, ever off message. Ever. Also, I told you this day would come, didn't I? I told you at the very beginning of the lockdowns, this day would come. That these governors, these mayors cannot print money like the federal government can. They're all kneecapping their own economies. And eventually the bill comes due and here's how it works. A city, a state, they run pretty much like a business. Obviously much less efficient, but pretty much like a business. Assets and liabilities. Here's the money we have coming in. Here's the money we have going out. You're a politician, a state representative, a state senator, a mayor, a governor. You have certain things you like, certain things you have have campaigned on. All of a sudden, you're looking at the budget. There's no money coming in. Because you bankrupted your state with your COVID restrictions. And they restricted and restricted and restricted and restricted. And now they look to Washington, D.C. and say, hey, bail us out. We're hurting financially because of COVID. Bail us out. This is why there never should have been any COVID relief anywhere for anyone. The second you open that Pandora's box, you finished yourself. Do you want to know why Republicans are so stupid? Republicans not only passed that COVID relief bill, and Trump signed it, not only passed it, they all still bragged about it. Oh, look at what we did. Look how we helped you with covid You know what you did? You told every one of these Democrat governors and mayors 
They can keep destroying their economies and you'll keep bailing them out. That's what you did. Don't knock yourself down patting yourself on the back. You let every one of them know. Because you see all these Republicans up there now say, I can't believe that. Governor Whitmer of Michigan, she's still locking down, making this political. She's locking down because you're the chump who's going to bail her out again. If you had stood your ground in the beginning, you wouldn't look like such a sucker now. If you had told all the states in the beginning, do what you want for coronavirus, but you are on your own, Jack. We'll send out ventilators. We'll send out equipment if this thing gets out of hand. But money ain't coming. Figure it out. If you had done that in the beginning, you wouldn't have any of this. You're exactly right, Chris. That's exactly what the founders wanted. You did this to yourself. If you're a Republican vote who voted for, and almost every one of them did, if you're a Republican who voted for that dog crap coronavirus relief bill, I don't want to hear you complain about Democrats politicizing the virus now. You enable them every single time. What are you complaining about? It's your fault. Every single time you give the kid ice cream for dinner every single night and then turn around and complain, all he asked for is ice cream for dinner. You enable it with your weakness. And I know what you're saying. Well, Jesse, they had to pass something. Why do people say that to me all the time? What do you mean have to? What does that mean? Have to. Or what? Uh, uh, they, they might they might lose an election. Or they might have to stand up and change the messaging. How about that? How about that? We didn't have to do anything. I get this from all these GOP congressmen and senators who I know. And they hear me tearing on them. And they'll send me texts or something like that. And almost every single time. They're trying to defend some dog crap vote that I'm pummeling them for. You know what I get? Well, you have to understand, I have to do this. Most of the time now, I don't even respond. Or I'll get this. And everybody knows I despise this from anybody, let alone some idiot rhino in the Senate. Hey, can you give me a call? Is there some reason you can't put your concise message in a text message? Because let me tell you something. The second you say, can you give me a call? You know what I hear? I want to trap you on the phone for 15 minutes while I try to filibuster my way out of trouble with you. That's what I hear. I've taken those phone calls from politicians before. Gosh, I've got one in mind. He just did it to me recently. I could, I'm could. i just going crazy here. No, I'm not naming him, Chris. I would never do something like that. But... It was savaging him, savaging him, not by name either, but he knew, you know, can you give me a call? And I, I never even answer that text message from anybody, but finally I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Give me a call. He gives me a call and it was 15 minutes of politician talk about these are all the reasons I have to do this. And then, you know, they know they're wrong when they start citing poll numbers. 
I get pulled. Well, you have to understand that we uh, we pulled this and we were pulling that. Buddy, that's the problem. You're not leading. You're polling. Polling is not leading at all. Polling is following. But I did have this thought. Maybe that's on me, Chris. How often do I come on this show and complain about people living in a world of make-believe? How often? All the time, right? Maybe I'm the one living in a world of make-believe if I'm expecting politicians to be leaders. How often are politicians actually leaders? Or are they almost always lifelong dorks seeking out a position of power and importance to gain access to things they normally would have to be a millionaire to access? You understand that's what they're doing most of the time, right? It's all of a sudden it's yes, sir, no, ma'am. All of a sudden... You have a staff? Wait, like an entire staff? Just for you? You have a chief of staff? You have a communications director? You have all these aides? You have all these interns? Oh, wow, I see we hired a hot one. Hope I don't get in trouble. You know what I mean? Oh, on a quick side note on that. Of course all these idiots get in trouble all the time up there. Some of them hire the most smoking hot interns you've ever seen in your life. I've been on the hill. They're jaw-dropping. What are you thinking, idiot? Of course you're going to end up getting in trouble. She's young and smoking hot and ambitious. You're there by yourself. How do you think that ends, moron? Hire an old one. Hang on. seen the market fluctuations already beginning. You know, we are eight days away from an election. Eight days. That's where we are. And you know what history says about these elections. If this election goes away, the market doesn't like the next morning, not, not two days later, the next morning, people are going to wake up and see lots of their money gone. Get a gold IRA from Gold Alliance today. Not tomorrow, not next week. Go get one today. I am not telling you to do anything radical, nor would I ever tell you to do so. It's the safe, no-brainer step. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash Jesse. That gold IRA needs to be part of every single person's retirement portfolio. Joining me now, as he does every single Monday at this time, Michael Malice. Michael, 
I'm sure you're going to have a different take on it. What should I actually make of all this Hunter Biden, Joe Biden stuff? Should I care? Do people care? Is that is it any of it going to get through? Does any of it even matter? Yeah, because I think what matters is the longer story, which is this is like back in the 90s. I'm sure you're old enough to remember and many of your listeners are old enough to remember when the ABC News, I think it was, tried to quash Winita Broderick and when the corporate press unanimously uh, conspired to keep the Monica Lewinsky news. Um, from breaking through. And that wasn't an issue. That was an issue because it was a felony. Uh, the sitting president was committing perjury and then obstruction of justice and other such crimes. And they basically did everything in their power, A, to protect the people in the White House, but also because they thought it was like declasse and trashy to be talking about these kind of things. So the Hunter Biden, uh, you know, the video and all this other stuff, you can't even DM people on Twitter, direct message them a link to the video, but it's out. Um, from what I've seen, he's got nothing to be ashamed of, if you know what I mean. But it just speaks to something deeper, which is that they have decided and have had the power for a very long time until the 90s to completely decree what is and what isn't acceptable for people to discuss. And in that world, the furthest right you can get is national review. Oh, my gosh. Well, that right? is, but that was, that was that is not a great situation. <laughs> but, that, but the 90s changed. Drudge broke that story. And right now we're all talking about Hunter Biden. We can't talk about it on Twitter, but we could talk about it as openly as we want on the radio. We could talk about it on emails and, and, and person to person. And this is a great example of demonstrating that the corporate press has an agenda and they feel empowered to make decisions for everyone in terms of what they are allowed to hear, as compared to how many years of being told that uh, Putin is running the White House and that they stole the election in 2016. You know, CNN had an article uh, yesterday condemning Trump for using the term fake news, which was a term they coined to use against him in 2016. That's the best. That's the, maybe the best thing that he's ever done is them using that term on him and him turning around and blasting them with it for years. It absolutely kills me. You know, I had this, I had this, I'm having this moment, this epiphany here. I've been having it for a few months now that maybe I'm the grossly naive one ever expecting a politician to be a leader, like wanting the GOP to stand up for something hard or, or do something tough, you know, take a tough stance on an issue. And I yell at them and yell at them and yell at them. Maybe I'm just the moron for expecting these losers to actually stand up for anything. Well, I, I, in a way, you can't blame them because they have to answer to their constituents who have been programmed since kindergarten to obey yeah. the dictates of Washington and the corporate press. But here's some the most silver of all linings. By far the most conservative and consistent and ideologically dedicated branch of government is the Supreme Court. And that Supreme Court is now far to the right than any Republican president or Congress has been in a hundred years once Amy uh, Coney Barrett gets approved. They remember they struck down in that Citizens United case laws that were on the books for a hundred years. They are one vote away from striking down Obamacare in its entirety, something they had not done since the New Deal, striking down government programs. So I think, and we're this close to having the Supreme Court build 
on uh, cases to adjudicate uh, the Second Amendment as an individual right and start striking down gun control laws, and they will have no recourse about it other than to cry more. Explain to me how we can ever achieve things, though. I understand we have the Supreme Court. But even things like the, I, I mean, uncomfortable things no one wants to talk about, like the individual, like uh, pre-existing conditions of Obamacare. I mean, sure. even and every Republican to a man, every Republican will be, well, I don't want to get rid of the pre-existing conditions requirement. That's what's blowing up insurance costs. If you force all the insurance companies to cover sick people, then it's blowing up the cost. Why, why does no one discuss even that basic reality? Well, because I don't think, as we just saw during this past year, there's any concern about the budget in Republican circles. There's only concern ostensibly in the Republican base, and I'm gonna, you're not going to like to hear this, but we could trace this back to Reagan. Yeah, I mean, Republicans no, yeah. for a long time have been talking about budget, yeah. but whenever they're in office, they let those budgets explode. When President Bush came in before 9-11, there was no concept of cutting the government, and his big achievement domestically was Medicare Part D in terms of economics, uh, whatever that, that uh, bill was. So, you know, Republicans talk the talk, but Thomas Massey, I mean, to his credit, he had to get on the floor and say, look, if we're going to spend literally trillions of dollars, can we at least have a vote on it and not a voice vote? And he was described as a traitor. So anyone who thinks that the Republican Party has any interest in governing conservatively when it comes to economics, the data doesn't back that up in the slightest. Right. I mean, break this down for me as best you can. I mean, I know you're not an economist, but you're one of the sharpest guys I know. Why do people feel as if we can spend money we don't have endlessly. And there is, there is in Republican circles, there is a way of thinking out there that we can do this forever. And there's no historical, there's no historical precedent for that at all. Well, there, I mean, in their defense, uh, to say that we're five trillion in debt or 50 or one, those numbers are conceptually identical. We have no yeah. idea what's a lot of money, right? At a certain point, the numbers seem the same. In the, and I'll, 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 I'll make you feel a little bit better. In the 1970s, Barry Goldwater, who I'm sure you're as much an admirer of as I am, mm -hmm. wrote a book called The Coming Breakpoint. And he said in the 70s that spending is so crazy that soon we're going to have economic collapse. Well, that never happened, and now it's 50 years later. So there's an expression, there's a great deal of ruin in a nation. Uh, when people are freaking out over spending, and you ask them how much is too much, at what point is it out of control, they will never have a number. So the fact that people are still comfortable getting government, buying government debt, the fact that the U.S. dollar is still worldwide the best store of income, these, these are telling me that's not the concern. My concern is public schools and what's being done to children. Aren't we winning there, though? Isn't that the one good thing that could that has come from coronavirus? At least in Texas, people are yanking their kids out of schools like no tomorrow. Our homeschooling rates are going through the roof here. Not only is that one of the good things, there's also a complete cultural increasing division between people who are desperate to wear diapers on their face for the rest of their lives and those of us who are like, come on, the dad doesn't back this up. Second Amendment rights and respect for gun ownership has gone through the roof, and contempt for politicians has increased exponentially among right-thinking people. So those are all some upsides uh, in this very bleak year. But has contempt for journalists climbed high enough? 
Uh, well, I mean, it's not, it, it, it'll be high enough when they start quitting out of fear. <laughs> I mean, look, you're not necessarily wrong. I, 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 I believe this job is so toxic. I believe people should run away from the field because they don't want to be thought of as a complete social pariah. In 2016, President Trump campaigned. You can watch the video on YouTube on executing journalists. Because he goes, I, these people are horrible. Because he's talking about Putin. He goes, I'd never kill them. He goes, well, maybe. No, no, no. I never would. But they're terrible people. And I think people are increasingly appreciating that they do not value you or your life and your family. They see you as a means to an end. And they'd be glad to turn you into the secret police and pat themselves on the back for it. But the other important thing is they're nowhere near as bright as they think they are. And that's why they will lose. Michael Malice, you're welcome. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you. Take care, Jesse. Take care. For some reason, he always makes me feel better. It's dark, but I always feel better, Chris. What? I'm a dark person. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I do love that story about Van Halen. Chris and I were talking about this story about Van Halen. Van Halen, this story's famous. I'm not exactly breaking news on you here. Breaking news, Chris, about Van Halen. Van Halen had, you know, the, all these singers, all, everybody who, who does concerts, singers, rappers, whatever, everybody, they have what's called a rider. A rider is something they send out to the different venues where they go of you will specifically have this, this, and this there for me. Now, it's been blown out of proportion in a lot of ways because people think people think it's all the stupid stuff. Honestly, lots of a rider 
is I need this kind of lighting here. I need this kind of effects here. Like It's about the show, really. And different venues have different capabilities. And they'll send these out. You have to accept and sign that rider saying you will provide that. However, these people are what they are. And I, I actually struggle with this. I struggle with describing why musicians and actors and artists and people whose brains work that way are this way. But oftentimes, most of the time, they're very, very odd people. And to me, I can't even put myself in that mindset. They are odd people. Honestly, I run into them in this business too. I run into them in radio. I definitely run into them in TV. I'm talking about the people in front of the camera in TV, these freaking prima donnas, and they'll, they'll be on camera, and they'll do their thing, and the second they hang up, where's my daggone coffee? I turned down the light. And you've seen, you've seen these videos before, just treating people like crap. See, I treat people like crap on camera. They don't have to worry about doing it off camera. But it is, it is weird. It's very weird. And so I don't know why these people are this way. But you'll see these wild requests. I believe it was Beyonce had to have titanium straws. Kanye had to have a barber's chair. Uh, there's, uh, there are so many, I can't even describe them all. I have to have this kind of juice. I have to have this chair. I have to have these things. Van Halen was famous for this. They wanted a gigantic bowl of M&Ms with all of the brown M&Ms taken out. Now, the normal person hears that and thinks, what a bunch of psychopath prima donnas. All the M&Ms taste the same anyway. What is that idiocy? These people are psycho, but was actually brilliant. They had in their contract that if the writer was not done to the letter, they would not play the show, and yet they would still be paid full price for having done the show. Okay? With me? Their manager would get off the bus when they would arrive to an event, and he'd just walk straight to the M&M Bowl. The M&M Bowl... If all the brown M&Ms were removed, he wouldn't even look at anything else because anybody who took the time to actually remove the brown M&Ms would, would have taken the time to do everything else on their rider. And they had huge uh, light displays and things like that that they wanted done. However, if he walked to the bowl, and this happened twice, if he walked to the bowl and the brown M&Ms were in it, gone, bye. Told you it had to be done. Peace out. You are worried about the election. I understand that. We had a party on Saturday night. We obviously don't throw a lot of parties, but once a year, my wife will throw a big Halloween party for the neighborhood. It's just all the neighbors. It's not nothing special. Bunch of bunch of grown people getting in costume. Everybody brings over food. We just all sit around and eat, and we're in costumes. You know, they have a couple beers. It's, it's, it's honestly the whitest thing you've ever seen in your life. They have a karaoke machine. People are dancing in the living room. I mean, it's, 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 it's once a year they do this party. 
I'm out back because too much noise and too much people. I, I need I need breaks, so I'm out back often on the patio. I'm just going to go out back, you know, gab with my buddies for a few out there so I can hear myself think. And one of the neighbor women, I know her, I see her inside, and she makes eye contact with me, and she starts beelining it for me. And you can tell she's coming my way and coming my way hard with a pur- purpose. And I'm like, what in the world? Because she like she looks like she has a purpose. And she just comes marching up to me, very accomplished uh, businesswoman. I'm not going to go into it. And she just says, I am so scared about the election. I need you to tell me everything's going to be okay. And I'll just tell you, and we've talked about this before, but I'll tell you again. Just like the M&M's. Hang on, I'll explain. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Let me be clear about this. It is a very, very, very important election. What I'm about to tell you in this story and what I told her, I'm not discounting that. I know it's important. I know it matters a lot to you. It matters a lot to me. A lot. I love this place. I want to see us keep marching on the right way, doing the right things. Try to claw our way back here. Start start getting some culture war wins instead of all these losses. I want regulations, Scott. I want sanity. I want, I want all these things just like you want them. I want them bad. And I know what the Biden-Harris, mostly Harris administration, is going to mean for the direction of the country and the government. And I, I get that. I get it. However, you need to hear something. Hang on.
Jesse Kelly returns next. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. I'll tell you what I told her. I do think Trump is going to win. I do. I do. I don't think it's believable that... Joe Biden, who's not having any more in-person campaign events for the last eight days of the election. I'm not not making that up. I don't think it's believable that a candidate that bad can do such a difficult thing, and that's unseat a sitting president. It's just not believable. All the momentum is Trump's my, is going Trump's way. And if I could magically erase all the poll numbers you've seen from your mind, all of them, if you had never seen a poll number, who would you think was winning this race? You see the rallies. You see Joe Biden's events, Trump's events. You saw the debate. You said you would think Donald Trump is curb stomping it. So I think Trump's going to win anyway. However, if Donald Trump, world peace deals, deregulated economy, if you think Donald Trump is going to lose to Joe Biden. If Joe Biden beats him, Joe Biden can't speak. Joe Biden can't think. Not only that, it's not as if Joe Biden has bad policies. He doesn't really have any policies. Joe Biden, his entire campaign is about nothing. It's like that Seinfeld episode, a show about nothing. Joe Biden's, what is Joe Biden's campaign about? Exactly. You can't name it. No one can name it because it's not really about anything. So if that person can defeat Donald Trump, obviously I know that's not ideal. I know it sucks. Believe me. And I'm, I am going to be right there with you. Somber on election night. Right there with you. And I'm going to be sad the next day, but don't worry. I will be here behind the microphone, won't be calling in sick. If that's the case, we're going to be licking our wounds together. But just like the brown M&Ms, doesn't it tell you all you need to know about where we are as a nation? It tells me all I need to know. And I understand that's a bad sign, right? That's the bad doctor's diagnosis. But wouldn't you rather know? I would rather know I'm going to die next week than not have a clue. I I understand that's a little dramatic, a little dire. But wouldn't you want a week? To get your affairs in order? I'd probably show up at the, as soon as I found that out, I'd probably show up and do one final radio show so I could say goodbye to all of you. And then I would gather with my my boys and my wife that week and my family. And I would spend a week having fun, spending time together, saying goodbye. I would want to know. 
If Joe Biden, I don't care, Democrat, Republican, it's not even about that. If a candidate that bad can defeat a sitting president, well, that tells you where we are. It tells you the power of the media, the power of the social media. It tells you, and this is going to hurt, all right, I know this. It tells you about us. What if it's coronavirus? What if it's coronavirus that has people voting for Joe Biden over Donald Trump? Uh, Donald Trump's not, he's not scared enough of it. Obviously, that would hurt. But I'd rather know. I'd rather know. I mean, if the American people vote for this person to unseat a sitting president, okay, that's where we are. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. I mean... Honestly, I'm not even trying to be mean for once, although I know I'm more than happy to be mean. If if that person, if this person unseats a sitting president, okay. This is the most consequent, not because I'm running, but because who I'm running against. This is the most consequential election uh, in, a, in a long, long, long time. And the character of the country, in my view, is literally on the ballot. What kind of country we're going to be? Mm-hmm. Four more years of George... Uh, Georgia, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in a different world. Four more years of George. Let's be frank. I'm not knocking anybody who has senior moments, loses their train of thought. I hope I live long enough to have my own senior moments. The body don't last forever, neither does the mind. God has numbered our days on the planet. I'm not mocking that. However, you can't be president of the United States because it's embarrassing. On the world stage, it's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. And if the American people can't see that, okay, that sucks, but at least I know there's value in knowing. And wouldn't you rather have an interesting life? I want to have an interesting life. And I know comfort is so appealing. I like being comfortable, too, like we talked about on Friday. Look, it's going to be a crappy four years if Biden gets elected, and almost undoubtedly a crappy eight years. I promise you this, though, we are going to have some great laughs on this show, and I mean some world-class laughs, and we're going to get through it. And I will make you this solemn vow right now. I've never done this before. If Joe Biden is elected, while he is undoubtedly going to do 8,000 things that upset me, I am not going to do that thing where I get behind the microphone and scream all day, every day, even though sometimes I will want to, and sometimes I will scream. But I'm not doing that all day, every day, and that's for you. 
You don't need that. It's going to be stressful and crappy enough. You don't need that. We'll talk about what's going on, but we're going to try to laugh our way through it. You just don't need that in your life. I mean, there were times, I'm obviously not going to name any names here. Many are very talented, very successful. There were times I would listen to all kinds of radio and podcasts during Obama's presidency where I would find myself in such a dark mood after, I would just take like a week off of all of it. I can't listen anymore. And I'd come home and the wife's like, are you okay? You're a little snappy tonight. I'm fine. I'm fine. You're just not going to believe what so-and-so said. And then I'm like, wow, okay, I need to take a break. That's, that's on me. I will not do that to you. We're going to have ups and downs. I know that. And there are going to be times I'm going to be upset. I will not do that to you. All right, we are going to do Medal of Honor Monday. Still got more show. Hang on. out catch up jessekellyshow.com you've worked hard for your money you've worked dang hard for your money and you've done the smart thing you're setting things aside aren't you you're setting money aside you want to you want to go golf go fish go enjoy your life post work what if you woke up one day and saw the market tanked and all that money you had gone. You understand that's not something out of some scary movie, some tragic drama. That's reality for many, many, many people in this country. They've lived that life. Don't get caught like that. Learn from the past. That's why we talk about history so much on the show. Go to goldalliance.com slash jesse. That's goldalliance.com slash jesse. And get this, when you go get a gold IRA from there, you can actually get up to $5,000 in free gold and silver coins. Very cool stuff. Goldalliance.com slash Jesse. Chris thought it was appropriate since we did Okinawa on Friday. And I talked a little bit about a Medal of Honor winner over there. And I didn't talk about Desmond Doss. I mean, I brought him up, but they made that movie Hacksaw Ridge about him. And I figured you all knew. And then I got a bunch of emails saying, who's Desmond Doss? Tell me about it. Apparently, I'm the only one who watches war movies anymore. Allow me to do it all for you. Okay, I'll just do all the heavy lifting like watching movies. What, Chris? Not anybody can set aside two hours and sit there. Someone get me a beer. Allow us to honor the great Desmond T. Doss. What a stud. Here he was. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, Chris. Pause the music. Should be noted, for those of you who haven't seen the movie or don't know the man's story, he grew up uh, devoutly, devoutly religious. I think he was a Seventh-day Adventist. 
a conscientious objector. He did not believe in holding weapons. His father pulled a gun. I think it was on his uncle when he was younger. I may have that story a little wrong, but his father was a bad alcoholic, pulled a gun on his uncle. His mother took the gun away and gave it to Doss when Doss was a kid. And Doss got rid of it and said he would never hold another weapon again. So he doesn't, he will not hold a weapon. And he, he goes into the army, obviously in World War II, and tells them too. It's not like he was quiet about it. He's like, no, I will, I, I, I don't, I don't do violence. I don't hold weapons. And they're like, wait, what? Wait, what? He said, oh, I'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be a medic. I'll, be, I'll just, I'll patch people up. They're like, well, even medics have to hold weapons. He says, not this one. And uh, they, obvi- you can, having gone through boot camp understandably, and as they should, or at least they used to, they foster what is called a spirit of aggression. You are taught to hit, violence, shoot, stab, encouraged. You wrestle. They call it bull in the ring. It's basically tap out submission wrestling all the time once you get to the, to the fleet. You just, understandably, you want your guys to be aggressive and violent. I cannot comprehend how they would have taught, how they would have treated somebody who said he would not be violent. They treated this guy like crap, and he wouldn't quit and wouldn't leave, and they mocked him. But by the time he got to Okinawa, the, the movie acts like he just got to Okinawa and started doing brave stuff. He had like a pair of bronze stars by the time he walked into Okinawa. The dude was just, he would not kill anybody, but he was just completely impervious to fear fanatically brave. He just believed that God held him, and whenever he died, he would just go to heaven anyway, and he just doesn't care. He does not have any regard for his own personal safety. So knowing that, this is what happened in Okinawa. Now you can roll it, Chris. He was a company aid man when the 1st Battalion assaulted a jagged encampment 400 feet high. As our troops gained the summit, A heavy concentration of artillery, mortar, and machine gun fire crashed into them, inflicting approximately 75 casualties and driving the others back. PFC DOS refused to seek cover and remained in the fire-swept area with the many stricken, carrying them one by one to the edge of the escarpment and there lowering them on a rope-supported litter down the face of the cliff to friendly hands. It should be noted... That rope-supported litter was not some army thing. With Japanese all around him and wounded comrades all around him. Sorry, I'm stepping away from the citation for a moment. He tied the litter himself. Bullets whizzing around him. Artillery going off. He ties the litter. Anyway. On the 2nd of May, he exposed himself to heavy rifle and mortar fire and rescuing wounded man 200 yards forward of the lines on the same escarpment, 200 yards on the same escarpment. And two days later, he treated four men who have been cut down while assaulting a strongly defended cave, advancing through a shower of grenades to within eight yards of enemy forces in a cave's mouth where he dressed his comrades' wounds before making four separate trips under fire to evacuate them to safety. People, I'm not even halfway done yet. And it should be noted on that trip to the cave, another quick side note, he was so close to the enemy, he could hear them whispering while he was dressing wounds and carrying people out. Oh, and these are the Japanese. I don't have to elaborate what would have have happened to Desmond Doss had they captured him. 
On the 5th of May, he unhesitatingly braved enemy shelling and small arms fire to assist an artillery officer. He applied bandages, moved his patients to a spot that offered protection from small arms fire, and, while artillery and mortar shells fell close by, painstakingly administered plasma. Later that day, when an American was severely wounded by fire from a cave, PFC DOS crawled to him where he had fallen 25 feet from the enemy position, rendered aid, and carried him 100 yards to safety while continually exposed to enemy fire. On the 21st of May, in a night attack on high ground near Shuri, he remained in exposed territory while the rest of his company took cover, fearlessly risking the chance that he would be mistaken for an infiltrating Japanese and giving aid to the injured while he himself was seriously wounded in the legs by the explosion of a grenade. Rather than call another aid man for cover, he cared for his own injuries and waited five hours before litter bearers could reach him and started carrying him to cover. The trio was caught in an enemy tank attack and PFC DOS, seeing a more critically wounded man nearby, crawled off the litter and directed the, bear the, the bearers to give their first attention to the other man. Awaiting the litter bearer's return, he was again struck, this time suffering a compound fracture of one arm. By the way, this was a sniper round. I believe it went in his elbow and came out like his tricep. It was ugly. It was really ugly. With magnificent fortitude, he bound a rifle stock to his shattered arm as a splint and then crawled 300 yards over rough terrain to the aid station. Through his outstanding bravery and unflinching determination in the face of desperately dangerous conditions, PFC DOS saved the lives of many soldiers. His name became a symbol throughout the 77th Infantry for outstanding gallantry above and beyond the call of duty. And it should be noted, he didn't save 75 men. Again, I brought this up on Friday. DOS tried to claim he only saved 50 the other people of the company all said, uh, he saved at least a hundred and Doss negotiates down how many he saved to 75. All right. Can we at least say 75? The only other time he touched a weapon in his life after his childhood was to grab a rifle and attach it to his arm as a splint. What a beast. Uh, ended up ended up tragedy. Tragedy in his life. His wife, who he loved. One, one cool part of the story. I'll tell you a cool part of it before I get to it. You know what? I'll tell you the sad part first. He ended up getting a car in a car wreck with his wife. She had breast cancer, and he was taking her to and from breast can cancer treatments. Gets in a car wreck later on in life, and she dies. So that was horrible. But here's the cool thing. He had a Bible. Obviously, he kept on him at all times. It was a Bible his, his wife had sent him and had uh, wrote something in it. When they carried him off the battlefield, he realized he had lost it out there somewhere. I mean, the guy's getting shot to pieces and blown up. The, the Bible's gone. It meant the world to him. Well, they shipped him out of there and got him on a hospital ship and got him healed up, and they sent it back home. It turns out his unit had gone back and found the Bible and had shipped the Bible home to his wife already. The Bible was waiting there at his home with his wife when he finally got back home. How freaking cool is that? 
How cool is that? See? Not all bad out there, Chris. Got studs like Desmond Doss running around. Actually, not running around anymore. I think he died in 2006. 2006, did I get that right, Chris? He died. Yeah, he died in 2006. Had a great long life. How about that? His kids said he's just a normal dude who at times is like Superman. Clearly, he was. Hang on. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Joining me now... White House correspondent with Newsmax, Emerald Robinson. Emerald, I've never even asked you about this. What if you're the White House correspondent for Joe Biden? Are you going to have a blast with that? (laughs) You are going to have a blast with that. I know you will. I mean, if they'll allow me to, right? I'll be asking all the questions that they don't want asked. So I have a feeling there will be some pushback on... uh, on who they allow in the room. <laughs> How much say? We've already seen that. If he even has, but if he even has press conferences, is yeah. this uh, basement Biden going to continue to the White House basement as well? Well, I mean, we all joke about this now, Emerald, but he has got to be the least accessible presidential candidate ever. There's no press conferences. Ever. There aren't interviews. There aren't in-person campaign events. I, I've never seen anything like this before. And you're not allowed to ask him anything except for about milkshakes. Yeah, he just screamed at someone else about the Hunter Biden stuff. I don't literally. I don't understand. I'll tell you what, Emerald. I think Donald Trump is going to win just because it's hard to unseat sitting presidents and Joe Biden is so bad. But Biden taking the last eight or nine days off and not doing in-person events has me nervous that they have polling I haven't seen before. Yeah. I here's the thing when he goes out it's not typically beneficial for them right yeah there's usually a gap or something that um is not in his favor so he's literally such a bad campaigner that it's better to have him inside and then try to let the media 
do his campaigning for him, which they do rather effectively, right? They're far more effective than he is at campaigning for him. So when you have the media in your pocket like that, you don't necessarily have to go out and campaign as much. Yeah, but I, do you think I, I understand that that helps? Obviously, it's a huge thing. I yeah. mean, it, it might win him the presidency, but there's no way that can be enough. Don't you think the American people, especially in this day and age, want to see their commander in chief? I mean, they can see him, right? They do. So here's the thing I'm talking about the polling. Like we always say this and give the disclaimer that polls are garbage, but they do show trends and there's certain information you can get from them. And then talking to uh, officials in the Trump campaign, I mean, it is a close race. And I, Trump officials won't come out and say that, you know, who's in the lead of who. They just say, we're really, feel really good about where we are right now. But what I will say that was very telling on the Biden front, and this went largely unreported or unnoticed, is that in a, like a video talk, one of his officials gave the information that they were not, they were trying to tell people, we are not ahead by double digits like this national polling is showing and you're seeing on the media. We just are not. And I think they're concerned that because this polling is showing him ahead by double digits, that there's going to be complacency from Democrat voters thinking, oh, well, he has this so far in the bag that my vote doesn't doesn't matter. So there's some of that going on, too, which is interesting that he does stay inside. But again, I think he's just a liability when he goes out. Do you think do you think they think they're hurting with black people? And I say this because now maybe it's just a a Black Lives Matter type year or something like that. They seem so overtly going after the black vote hard. I mean, really hard. Joe Biden is Kamala is they are hammering it and hammering and hammering it. They're hammering it so much. It seems like they're worried about it. They are worried about the black vote because the president is um, polling better with the with black voters than he has even in the past. And you even have Charlemagne the God. You know, he had that infamous interview with Joe Biden where Joe Biden had some things to say that didn't sit well with black voters. Charlemagne the God was out explaining over the weekend why Trump is uh, doing well with black men. You have Ice Cube coming out for Trump. I think 50 Cent now retracted his endorsement, but he had positive things to say about President Trump's taxes, tax plan, particularly as opposed to Joe Biden's. And just so here's what I talked to, you know, a member on the the president's um, uh, coalition for black voters. And they told me, look, for black men, he represents strength. It's a lot of the same with the Latino voters. They see him as very masculine and with a lot of strength. And so he is appealing particularly more to black men than black women. And Joe Biden is concerned. And putting Kamala Harris on the ticket doesn't draw the black vote. Did you see that MSNBC uh, interview with uh, Savannah Guthrie of like a, a, a focus group of black female voters? And they they were saying that, you know, we're not necessarily voting Democrat just because we're black. And that's what the pitch has been from the Biden campaign, that you ain't black if you don't vote for me. And that just hasn't sat well with black voters. It was very surprising to Savannah Guthrie to hear what they had to say. This Hunter Biden stuff seems like it's dying. I, I don't mean like it's going away. I understand it's getting worse and worse. And there was some ugly personal stuff, which I'm not getting into over the weekend. that got revealed and yeah. things like that. But you know, I, I don't feel like it's getting attached to Joe fast enough. Or am I just being impatient? 
Well, I think there's, I think it's actually, if you look at the information, it isn't very attached to candidate Joe Biden. I mean, the receipts are there, the emails that say that he gets 10%. There's now been a witness who corroborates that the big guy that they talk about getting a 10% cut is indeed Joe Biden himself. It's there. It's just that the message isn't getting out because it's being suppressed by the media and social media. So the voters that it might actually make a difference on, I think the people who are getting the information, they're already Trump supporters, are probably already voting for President Trump. So the people who are getting the info, so the people who it might sway, I don't think are actually seeing the information because of the media blackout. What could we, is the media losing, Emerald? There's a way of thinking out there that the media is too powerful and they're completely swaying society. And then there's another way of thinking. I have friends on the right who will tell me this privately. They think the media is actually losing ground because of social media, because of all the different outlets and ways you can reach people now that their influence is less than it's ever been. Well, the media is definitely losing on two fronts. Um, they're, they're losing because nobody trusts them anymore. Survey after survey shows that there's also social media where people do have access to different information. But as big tech clamps down, that's going to be uh, less and less true. Um, but also, it's very interesting. There was actually an SNL skit that was hilarious saying it was projecting a post-Trump world in which, which people have been so focused on him, especially the media, that they won't know how to operate once he's gone. And the truth is the ratings just won't be there. So they're almost suicidal in their Trump hate because if he's not president, a lot of places like CNN, their ratings are going to drop massively do if th- there's a Biden. Do you think they understand that? It's not interesting. Do you, did you, oh boy, you're so right. They're just boring and that's going to kill them. Do you think they <laughs> get that? Do they realize that he's keeping them alive? You, you know, I... I think they know it, and yet they're so ideological, they're willing to sacrifice. That's all I can guess, because they have to know it. Jobs have went up. There's more availability for media. There's more focus. It's been a good market for reporters. Um, And yet they they know once he's gone, it's not going to be there because there's not going to be the focus on media like there has been. I remember a White House reporter telling me that before before Trump times, as a White House correspondent, even as you know one of the main ones, she really only got on the evening news a couple times a week. And now she works double shifts yeah. half the time. Emerald Robinson, yeah. thank you for giving us knowledge once again. <laughs> Anytime, Jesse. Be good. I can't see Chris. Malice will come on and he'll say the media is losing. But, I mean, what if Joe Biden wins? Are they losing? Hang on. The Jesse Kelly Show. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. 
for dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Twenty questions the media would be asking Joe Biden if he were a Republican. This is from Bongino.com, Chris. Well, how are they going to ask him any questions? It really is amazing. The guy just is, I've never seen anything like it. Given your obvious mental deterioration and your difficulty working a full schedule on the campaign trail, why should American people believe you are physically and mentally capable of handling a job as demanding as the presidency? Oof. I mean, that alone, that alone is bad. It, he's not doing in-person campaign events during the most, politically speaking, the most important nine days of his life. Of his life. He is on the cusp of becoming the president of the United States of America. And he just went home. He's called it a day. Two, you've been in government since 1972, so aren't you part of the problem? (laughs) Three, while you were vice president, America had the weakest economic recovery since the Great Depression. Shouldn't Americans expect the same poor performance this time? Oh, man, these are, I mean, these are, look. I understand we live in this world now where Democrats control all the media. And we never get any of the questions asked we want. But that's back to my point of, so Republicans have to. You have to conduct yourself like Donald Trump does. If you're a Republican, you have got to bring up all the uncomfortable things the media would rather you didn't. You simply do. If you don't, you're going to get your lunch eaten. Did you see this, Chris? Uh, There were some nuns wearing MAGA hats behind Trump at a Trump rally. Some dude gets online and doxes him. What is wrong with leftists? What is there's only one reason to dox them. You know, you would never reveal their personal information for any other reason other than you want something bad to happen to them. You want them hurt, you want them thrown out of the church, you want you want something bad. These people are psychopaths. Because it is not a political ideology. It is a religion of domination. It is amazing to me. UC Riverside creates anti-racism guide for elementary schoolers. According to campusreform.org. 
get your kids out of government schools. Now, get them out. Whatever you have to do. I heard somebody say the other day that if you can't homeschool, take all the college money you're saving up, if you can afford to do that, if you're saving up, and pay for private elementary schools and high schools. Screw college. They're getting to them early, and you know what? This person was 100% right. Screw college. Worry about college when it gets there. Get them out of government schools now. These people are lunatics. Headline, foxnews.com. Trump announces peace deal between Sudan and Israel, says more nations will normalize relations. The dude between Sudan and Israel. Again, if he is defeated by somebody with a brain made of tapioca pudding, obviously that'll be crushing, but boy, does that say where we are. The guy has been a really, really good president. No, not perfect. Nobody is. But the guy has been a really good president. Who changes from that to a guy who couldn't remember Trump's name? I I mean, and this, he he can't do basics. He can't get through basics of anything. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. (laughs) Yes, Joe. Yeah, we know you have. The man can't remember. He thought Donald Trump was George Bush. Joe Biden is not functional. He's simply not functional. This is the most consequent, not because I'm running. Because who I'm running against, this is the most consequential election uh, in, a, in a long, long, long time. And the character of the country, in my view, is literally on the ballot. What kind of country we're going to be? Mm-hmm. Four more years of Georgia, Georgia, he uh, is going to find ourselves in a position where if uh, Trump gets elected, uh, we're going to be. Four more years. This is the most consequential election ever. Not because of me, because of who I'm running against. Well, who are you running against? George. That is not a functional adult. He cannot do the job of president of the United States of America. So we have a really cool story tomorrow. Oh, again, phone screener. Email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. You can email your Ask Dr. Jesse questions already. I'll be saving them up all week. And if you're interested in being the phone screener, as phone screener Mitchell is moving on, Send one with the subject line phone screener. Hang on. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. 
Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. If you missed any part of the show today, including me talking about Operation Thunderbolt, which was sweet. And you know what? If you name your operation Operation Thunderbolt, it better be sweet. That can't be something lame. I've started to name certain things I'm doing around the house, Operation something, just to see my wife roll her eyes and see my boys laugh and laugh and laugh. Oh, Chris, I didn't tell you. I fixed the toilet all by myself on Saturday, Friday night. I am all that is man. If anybody has any toilet repair needs, you can just email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. I'll come on over and turn some wrenches and stuff and get your toilet. What, Chris? I'll get people's toilets fixed. Look, it's, you wouldn't understand anything about that. All right. Turning wrenches, pounding nails. Just a handyman. All right? That's how I live my life. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.